The Explanation of the Parable of the Sower In John Calvin's Commentaries on the Synoptics Matthew 13, verse 13 And he said to them, Know you not this parable? And how shall you know all parables? The sower is he that sows the word. And there are some that receive the seed near the road, in whom the word is sown. And when they have heard, immediately Satan comes, and takes away the word which was sown in their hearts. According to Matthew and Luke, Christ explains the parable to his disciples simply and unaccompanied by a reproof. But according to Mark, he indirectly blames them for being slow of apprehension, because those who were to be the teachers of all did not run before others. The general truth conveyed is that the doctrine of the gospel, when it is scattered like seed, is not everywhere fruitful, because it does not always meet with a fertile and well-cultivated soil. He enumerates four kinds of hearers, the first of which do not receive the seed, the second appear indeed to receive it, but in such a manner that it does not take deep root. In the third soil the corn is choked, and so there remains a fourth part which produces fruit. Not the one here only out of four, or ten out of forty embrace the doctrine and yield fruit. For Christ did not intend here to fix down an exact number, or to arrange the persons of whom he speaks in equal divisions. And indeed, where the word is sown, the product of faith is not always alike, but it sometimes is more abundant, and at other times more scanty. He only intended to warn us that in many persons the seed of life is lost on account of various defects in consequence of which it is either destroyed immediately, or it withers, or it gradually degenerates. That we may derive the greater advantage from this warning, we ought to bear in mind that he makes no mention of despisers who openly reject the word of God, but describes those only in whom there is some appearance of docility. But if the greater part of such men perish, what shall become of the rest of the world by whom the doctrine of salvation is openly rejected? I come now down to each class of hearers. Matthew 13, verse 19. When anyone hears a word of the kingdom and does not understand it, he mentions in the first place that barren and uncultivated, who do not receive the word within, because there is no preparation in their hearts, such persons he compares to a stiff and dry soil, like what we find on a public road which is trodden down and becomes hard, like a pavement. I wish that we had not occasion to see so many of this class at the present day who come forward to hear, but remain in a state of amazement and acquire no relish for the word, and in the end differ little from blocks or stones need we wonder that they utterly vanish away. That which was sown in their heart. This expression which Christ employs is not strictly accurate, and yet it is not without meaning. For the wickedness and depravity of men do not make the word to lose its own nature, or to cease to have the character of seed. This must be carefully observed, that we may not suppose the favors of God to cease to be what they are though the good effect of them does not reach us. With respect to God, the word is sown in the hearts, but it is far from being true 
Did the hearts of all receive it with meekness? What is planted in them? As James 1 verse 21 exhorts us to receive the word. So then the gospel is always a fruitful seed as to its power, but not as to its produce. Luke adds that the devil takes away the seed out of their heart, that they may not believe and be saved. Hence we infer that, as hungry birds are wont to do at the time of sowing, this enemy of our salvation, as soon as the doctrine is delivered, watches and rushes forth to seize it before it acquires moisture and springs up. It is no ordinary praise of the word when it is pronounced to be the cause of our salvation. Verse 20, But he that received the seed thrown into stony places. This class differs from the former, for temporary faith, being a sort of vegetation of the seed, promises at first some fruit, but their hearts are not so properly and thoroughly subdued as to have the softness necessary for their continued nourishment. We see, too, many of this class in our own day who eagerly embrace the gospel and shortly afterwards fall off, for they have not the lively affection that is necessary to give them firmness and perseverance. Let everyone then examine himself thoroughly, that the alacrity which gives out a bright flame may not quickly go out, as the saying is, like a fire of tow. For if the word does not fully penetrate the whole heart and strike its roots deep, faith will want to supply moisture that is necessary for perseverance. Great commendation is due no doubt to that promptitude which receives the word of God with joy and without delay, as soon as it is published. But let us learn that nothing less has been done till faith acquires true firmness, that it may not wither in the first blade. Verse 21. When affliction or persecution arises on account of the word. By way of example, Christ says that such persons are made uneasy by the offense of the cross. And certainly, as the heat of the sun discovers the barrenness of the soil, so persecution and the cross lay open the vanity of those who are slightly influenced by I know not what desire, but are not actually moved by earnest feelings of piety. Such persons, according to Matthew and Mark, are temporary believers, not only because, having professed for a time that they are the disciples of Christ, they afterwards fall away through temptation, but because they imagine that they have true faith. According to Luke, Christ says that they believe for a time, because that honor which they render to the gospel resembles faith. At the same time, we ought to learn that they are not truly regenerated by the incorruptible seed which never fades, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 verse 4. For he says that these words of Isaiah, the word of God endures forever, Isaiah 40, verse 8, 1 Peter 1, verse 25, are fulfilled in the hearts of believers in whom the truth of God once fixed never passes away, but retains its vigor to the end. Still, those persons who take delight in the word of God and cherish some reverence for it do in some manner believe, for they are widely different from unbelievers, who give no credit to God when he speaks 
or who reject his word. In short, let us learn that none are partakers of true faith except those who are sealed with the spirit of adoption, and who sincerely call on God as their Father. And as that spirit is never extinguished, so it is impossible that the faith, which he has once engraven on the hearts of the godly, shall pass away or be destroyed. Verse 22 And he who received the seed among thorns, he places in the third class those who would have been disposed to receive the seed within, if they had not permitted other things to corrupt and render it degenerate. Christ compares to thorns the pleasures of this life, or wicked desires and covetousness, and the other anxieties of the flesh. Matthew only mentions the cares of this life along with covetousness. But the meaning is the same, for under that term he includes the allurements of pleasures, which Luke mentions, and every kind of desire. His corn, which otherwise might have been productive, no sooner arises into the stock than it is choked by thorns and other manners, injurious to its growth. So the sinful affections of the flesh prevail over the hearts of men, and overcome faith and thus destroy the force of the heavenly doctrine before it has reached maturity. Now though sinful desires exert their power on the hearts of men, before the word of the Lord springs up into the blade, yet at first their influence is not perceived, and it is only when the corn has grown up and given promise of fruit that they gradually make their appearance. Each of us ought to endeavor to tear the thorns out of his heart if we do not choose that the word of God should be choked. For there is not one of us whose heart is not filled with a vast quantity, and, as I may say, a thick forest of thorns. And indeed we perceive how few there are that reach maturity. For there is scarcely one individual out of ten that labors. I do not say to root out, but even to cut down the thorns. Nay more, the very number of the thorns which is so prodigious that it ought to shake off our sloth is a reason why most people give themselves no trouble about them. The Deceitfulness of Riches Christ employs this phrase to denote covetousness. He expressly says that riches are imposing or deceitful in order that men may be more desirous to guard against falling into their snares, let us remember that the affections of our flesh, the number and variety of which are incalculable, are so many injurious influences to corrupt the seed of life. Number 23. But he that received a seed into a good soil. None are compared by Christ to a good and fertile soil, but those in whom the word of God not only strikes its roots deep and solid, but overcomes every obstacle that would prevent it from yielding fruit. It is objected that it is impossible to find anyone who is pure and free from thorns. It is easy to reply that Christ does not now speak of the perfections of faith, but only points out those in whom the word of God yields fruit. Though the produce may not be great, yet everyone who does not fall off from the sincere worship of God is reckoned a good and fertile soil. We ought to labor, no doubt, to pull out the thorns. But as our utmost exertion will never succeed so well, but there, there will always be some remaining behind, let each of us endeavor at least to deaden them.
that they may not hinder the fruit of the word. This statement is confirmed by what immediately follows when Christ informs us that all do not yield fruit in an equal degree, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Though the fertility of that soil, which yields a thirtyfold, produce is small, compared with that which yields an hundredfold, yet we perceive that our Lord classes together all kinds of soil which do not entirely disappoint the labors and expectation of the husbandmen. Hence do we learn that we have no right to despise those who occupy a lower degree of excellence. For the master of the house himself, though he gives to one the preference above another on account of more abundant produce, yet bestows the general designation good even on inferior soils. Though three gradations are absurdly tortured by Jerome to denote virgins, widows, and married persons, as if that produce which the Lord demands from us belonged to celibacy alone, and as if the piety of married persons did not in many cases yield more abundantly every fruit of virtue, it must also be observed in passing that what Christ says about a hundredfold produce is not hyperbolical, for such was at that time the fertility of some countries, as we learn from many historians who give their report as eyewitnesses of it. John Calvin, Commentary on the Synoptics.